You may have seen posters around the diocese or in your parish for a really great event coming to Ridgefield on March 9th. Christopher West and his team at the Theology of the Body Institute are coming with a fantastic night of music and faith and teachings on the Theology of the Body. So we've got a treat for you here today. Christopher West joins Bishop Caggiano on Let Me Be Frank to tell us just what the Theology of the Body is and to talk more about this upcoming event. And so if you haven't checked it out yet, you can go online for more information, and I believe there are still tickets available. So if you're on the web, go to ridgefieldct.eventbrite.com. That's ridgefieldct.eventbrite.com. And in the meantime, listen in to this important conversation on your radio at 1350 AM or 103.9 FM or using the Veritas mobile app on your phone. And if you are looking for the app, it is easy to get. Go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or veritascatholic.com. While you're online, be sure to check out Foundations in Faith. They are our sponsors here for Let Me Be Frank. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship, and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. All right, here we go. This what is an me- intro, my friend, what an <laughs> intro. <laughs> this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. I'm so proud of you, Steve. You said that with with one breath. It was amazing. I I usually record that part without you on the air, Excellency. So (laughs) now you get to hear it. But I'm really uh, happy today because we have such a great guest on with us, Excellency. And so it's Christopher West. And just very quickly, I'm sure everybody out there knows who he is, but please allow me to introduce him anyway. Christopher West is the president of the Theology of the Body Institute. He is on the faculty at a number of institutions, including Pontifex University, St. John Vianney Seminary in Denver, the Institute of Priestly Formation in Omaha, and the John Paul II Institute in Australia, and a few others. Well, those are all things I used to be. Those are past positions that I've had, not current ones. Okay. Yeah, the current position is uh, Pontifex and the Theology of the Body Institute. Those Those others were part of my previous assignments. There you go. Christopher is also the author of more than a dozen best-selling books and numerous videos and audio programs, and he is coming here to our diocese on Wednesday, March 9th with the Made for More event hosted by St. Mary's Parish in Ridgefield. Christopher, thank you so much for joining us on Let Me Be Frank today. It's my pleasure, and I just want to say I love the clever title of this show, Let Me Be Frank. I, I should start a show called Let Me Be Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but Frank fits my personality. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yours, yours could be Go West, young man, or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Christopher, thank you for being here. Bishop really. Caggiano, it's my pleasure. And it's a great joy that I'm coming to your diocese. I can't wait to be there. Yeah, and I and I welcome you with open arms. I must confess to, to our listeners, uh, you know, in my ministry, I have had the privilege of working with many, many different people, some fine minds, some great teachers, but you, I think, are among the few 
that have had really an enormous transformative impact in the life of the church in the United States. And I don't say that lightly, Christopher, because we all know that John Paul, St. John Paul, was truly great. Yes. A great man, a great saint. But because he was such a profound thinker, for the average person, many of his insights were not easily understood. But yes. you have taken um, his, his theology of the body teaching, right, which summarizes the whole tradition of the church, and have made it accessible, understandable, and you have really transformed many different lives. It's just amazing. Your work is really amazing. So I am delighted you're here. Thank you, Bishop Casciano. It's a, it's, a, it's a joy to do this work. I really believe I have the greatest job in the world. I, I get to invite hungry people to a banquet. That's, that's what we do as evangelists and teachers of the faith. And I'm, I'm humbled by it. I'm, I, I look back at, at how this all unfolded, and I just am filled with praises to God. Uh, I, I was pursuing a music career, actually, in the early 1990s when I first read John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And I traded in my drumsticks and my guitar for a very different life. And I, I never could have imagined if somebody had said to me 30 years ago that this is where my life would go. I, I never would have imagined it or even believed it. Um, so I, I'm just trying to say yes to what the Lord's will is for my life. Right. Christopher, so, so share with us, to the extent that you're comfortable, your journey of faith. So you've begun already alluding to the fact that the Lord took you in a very different direction. But, but what, was, what has been your journey to encounter yes. Christ and give your life really over to him and his ministry, right? Thank you for asking that question. I, I think it's the foundation of, of every Christian's life is how did you encounter Christ? What, what, how did Christ come to be the center of your life? And it's a very long story. I'm 52 years old, so the full version of that story would take 52 years to tell. <laughs> but here's, here's the short version. I, I was raised in the church in the 70s and 80s, and it was the, a tumultuous time. It was post-Vatican II. Um, the catechesis was very poor. But the, the nuns that I had in Catholic school were kind of leftovers from the pre-Vatican II, uh, kind of a, a rigid approach to, to Catholicism. And I was raised on what you might call, and I've come to call, the starvation diet gospel. <laughs> and, and by that, I mean, we all have this hunger. We're, we're looking for something. I, I remember, Bishop, I was eight years old. I was in third grade at Sacred Heart School. It was right around the time John Paul II was elected Pope, and I'm lying in my bed, and I hear Bruce Springsteen come on the radio, and I heard his anthem from the 70s, Born to Run, for the first time, and it awakened a yearning in my, in my soul. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. He, in this song, he's looking for this place to go, and he, he wants to find this certain fulfillment, and, and he's certain that if he keeps running, if he keeps searching for it, he'll find it. And there was something about the passion and the longing in that song that awakened a passion and a longing in my own heart. I had no idea at the time that that was a passion and a longing for God. Uh, and, and again, having using this metaphor, I would say that the way the gospel was presented to me was your passion, your desire is bad. You need to repress all that, but follow these rules and you'll be a good upstanding Christian citizen. Uh, well, I didn't, I didn't 
I didn't buy that. And in my teenage years, I became a quick convert to what I would call the fast food gospel. <laughs> and by that, I mean the secular culture's promise of immediate gratification for that hunger. And if our only two choices are starvation on the one hand or fast food on the other, I'm a hungry guy. I'm going for the fast food. I'm going for the chicken nuggets. And, and I don't want anybody to lie to me here because those chicken nuggets actually taste really good going down. However, if you go along with my analogy, if fast food becomes your steady diet, uh, you're not going to feel so good after a while. The grease and that sodium is going to catch up with you. And that's a picture of me in my college years. I, I was spiritually sick from, from the fast food, so to speak. And it put me on my knees in a college dorm in 1988 saying, and I hadn't been to mass for years at this point. I had abandoned my, my Christian upbringing, but I was on my knees in pain in a college dorm. And I said, God in heaven, if you exist, you better show me why you gave me these passions, these longings, these desires, because they're getting me and everybody I know into a heck of a lot of trouble. Do you have a plan for my life? And, and Bishop, that, that sent me on a journey. Uh, Jesus said, seek and you will find. And, and not everything in my, in my Catholic school background was bad, right? Um, there were certain seeds that got planted. And that seek and you'll find seed really got planted in my heart. And so I sought, I sought, I sought. And, and making a long story short, a few years later, now we're in the early 90s, I discovered John Paul II's theology of the body, and it, it was, it was life-transforming. Uh, somehow this old Polish guy in Rome <laughs> was able to put his finger on the deepest questions and longings of my being and, and, and unfold for me that Christianity is not a starvation diet. It's an invitation to a banquet. More specifically, it's an invitation to a wedding feast. And, and I really felt like I had discovered something as big as, as the cure for cancer or something that big. And I knew then that I would spend the rest of my life studying this teaching and sharing it with the world. And um, the Lord has opened the doors for, for me to do that. And it has been and continues to be a uh, a life transforming experience for me. The theology of the body is, is as you said, very well, Bishop. And I'm so glad to hear you say it because not a lot of Catholics understand this, that John Paul II is putting into a modern language, a summary of the whole Christian tradition. He's giving us a pair of glasses, if you will, to read the catechism from start to finish and have it come alive for us. And I would say what happened when I encountered his teaching was that the doctrine that I had heard growing up in Catholic school, which was presented to me in a kind of dry and doctrinaire way, it took on life. It took on meaning. John Paul II connected the doctrine with the deepest longings of my heart. And I found a connection with my Catholic faith. I found a connection with the, the mystery of the incarnation and the person of Christ. And I discovered that the person of Christ knew me. He knew my heart. He knew my deepest longings. And his desire 
there for me was, was quite a remarkable odyssey, right? And I wouldn't go, I, so if I were a listener and I've never heard of the teaching that transformed your life, the very first question I would ask you is, so what is the theology of the body? What yeah. is, right? Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about that very phrase. It's a remarkable phrase, theology of the body. Uh, what? I mean, when I grew up, you know, theology, the study of God seemed to be disconnected from my body. It seemed to be disconnected from, from the physical world, in fact. But I, I came to learn from John Paul II, that is a great ancient heresy. Yes, don't The Catholic Church has condemned over and over and over again this rupture between the spiritual and the physical. In fact, I mean, at the heart and center of everything we believe as Christians is what we call the incarnation. Uh, we have a general idea that religion means fleeing the body and the physical world to reach a spiritual God. But Christianity represents the exact opposite movement. It's the movement of God in our direction, the God who is indeed pure spirit, but he takes on flesh. He weds himself to this physical world. He weds himself to our bodies. I love this line from Pope Benedict XVI. He says that line in scripture, a body you have prepared for me, that he says is the summary of the entire gospel. It's the, the culminating point of the whole of scripture. The incarnation, the word was made flesh. What does that mean? It means, among other things, that our bodies are not only biological, our bodies are theological. They, they tell a divine story. Well, what story do they tell? And, and Bishop, please interrupt me here at, at any moment, because I, I have the gift of gab, and I'll go on and on if you let no, me. No, no, no. I, I find what you're saying fascinating. The only thing I just want to add, if I may, is please when you speak of the, the ancient heresy, right? Yes. The, the rupture. It was the first of the heresies. Yes. And it spoke to the resurrection. Amen. On Sunday, we say we, we believe in the resurrection of the body. Body. Because the body is an essential part of who I am. And therefore, Amen. when we rise from the dead in judgment at the end, when all creation is called to judgment, then we will have, like the Lord, a glorified body. Amen. Preach it. Preach it. This is, in fact, St. Paul says, if the resurrection of Christ it bodily is not real, our faith is in vain. Right. Or what the fathers would say, that which is not assumed is not saved. Amen. Amen. Right. And the fathers also said Christ came not to save us from the flesh, but to save the flesh. Right. Right. Exactly. Christianity proclaims not the salvation of the flesh, not the salvation from the flesh. Right. And this is this is essential because we live in a world today you know this as, as well as I, we live in a world that tells us the body is meaningless. It has no meaning whatsoever. Whereas Christianity proclaims that through the incarnation, through the fact that the word became flesh, ultimate meaning became flesh. And this means the flesh is not only not meaningless, the flesh in and through Jesus Christ 
reveals ultimate meaning. The logos was made flesh. You know, the logos, uh, that Greek word means the ultimate meaning behind everything, the ultimate logic behind everything, the ultimate purpose, the ultimate truth behind everything, the word behind everything, the word that is ultimate meaning took on flesh to reveal through human flesh ultimate meaning. The war going on in our world right now, there is a raging, raging battle that we are involved in right now. And it is an all out war, an all out attack against the meaning of our bodies. Correct. Right. Why is the enemy after our bodies? Precisely because our bodies tell the divine story. And that's what I'd like to unfold now. That what, what do we mean? What do I mean when I say the body tells a divine story? Well, the Bible from beginning to end, and I learned all this from John Paul II, uh, but as you said, Bishop, he's just drawing out the theological tradition here. From beginning to end, the Bible tells a story about marriage. It begins, and the Catechism says this, the Bible begins with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. It begins with the marriage of man and woman in an earthly paradise. It ends with the marriage of Christ and the church in a heavenly paradise. And when we look at these two bookends of the Bible, we discover the key that unlocks the whole story. And here it is. Here's the whole story in five words, the whole biblical story. God wants to marry us. That's the story. Throughout the Old Testament, God speaks of his love for his people as the love of a husband for his bride. And in the New Testament, that eternal bridegroom is literally embodied when the word is made flesh. Uh, and right there in the middle of the Bible. So the Bible begins with a marriage. It ends with the marriage. Right in the middle of the Bible is that great erotic love poetry called the Song of Songs. Oh, yes. Yep. Mm hmm. And the mm -hmm. saints have written more commentaries on mm -hmm. the Song of Songs than any other book in the Bible. Why? They understood what Pope Benedict XVI said in his encyclical, God is Love. He said, the Song of Songs expresses the essence of biblical faith. And the essence of biblical faith is that we truly can enter into union with God. And this union is described by the scriptures, by the Bible, as the marriage of the Lamb. And I like to say, and this is what John Paul unfolds in his theology of the body, that this eternal marital plan that God wants to marry us, God wanted that eternal marital plan to be so plain to us, so obvious to us, that he chiseled an image of it right in our bodies by making us male and female and calling the two to become one flesh. And all of this biblical narrative culminates in Ephesians chapter 5, where St. Paul says, the union of man and woman in one flesh is a great mystery and it refers to Christ and the church. And the church. Right. 
that John Paul II says that that passage in Ephesians 5 is a summa or a compendium of everything God wants to tell us about who he is, who we are, how we are to live, what our ultimate destiny is, and how we get there. That's a bold statement. And, and what God wants to tell us above all in his word is that he loves us. But not only does he love us, he wants to marry us. And there's even more. First comes love, then comes marriage, <laughs> and then comes the baby in the baby carriage. Uh, what we didn't realize, though, in second grade is when we learned that little rhyme is we were actually reciting some profound theology. God loves us, wants to marry us, and he wants the bride to conceive eternal life within her. The bride is the church, and the church is embodied in Mary. And this is not just a metaphor. Mary, representing the whole human race as the new Eve, as the bride, she gave her yes to heaven's marriage proposal with such fidelity and totality that she literally conceived eternal life in her womb. Precisely through the flesh. In her body. She Correct. gave flesh right. to the eternal son of the father. <laughs> right. right. So now, Chris, may I I'm, I'm, I'm interrupt? Please, please. Uh, forgive me for interrupting. Not at all. So, for the, first of all, everything you said, if a person really were to reflect on it, 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 it clarifies so many misconceptions that people have about Christianity. Yes. Not least of which there is this perennial misunderstanding that Christianity is all about getting through this life to get to heaven as if this life is meaningless, but this life is in fact the preamble to eternal life. Amen. It is the infleshing of this promise. It's all about covenant, right? It's yes, all about God does not, when God speaks, that which he speaks becomes real. Israel is reality in the end. So when God says he loves us, in fact, that is who he is sharing yes. his life with us, right? But now this is my question to you, because everything you said makes phenomenal sense. But to the average person. Yes. And I know you will eventually get to this. When yes. they hear the word marry, they understand a thousand different things by that word. Yes. yes. A lot of which may not be what is intended by the church. Right. Yes. Yes. So, so break open for me, for us. Um, what, when you say the word marry, what do you really mean? What do yes. you mean as a man of faith? Christopher, yes. before, before you answer that, give us like a one minute overview. Cause then we've got to go to the break and you can really dive into it when we come okay. back from the break. Good. Okay. Very good. Uh, Bishop Caggiano, the key word, you've already used it. The key word is covenant. Mm -hmm. If we want to understand what the Bible means by marriage, what the church means by marriage, and, and what I'm trying to explain when I say God wants to marry us, we have to enter more deeply into that word covenant. God wants to establish a covenant with his people. And the covenant means the gift of self, ah. right? The mm -hmm. gift of oneself. And here, and we'll, we'll say more when we come back from the break, 
But John Paul II describes this as the law of ecstasy. Uh, that's a that's an evocative statement, uh, an evocative phrase. The law of ecstasy. Well, look, what does ecstasy mean? It means to go out of myself, to go out of myself. When Christ establishes the covenant with his church, with his bride, he goes out of himself. He says, this is my body given up for you. It is this <laughs> gift of self to and for the other which is an irrevocable gift, an indissoluble gift, an indissoluble union is established through the covenant. When we come back from the break, we'll unfold that more and we'll, we'll, we'll recognize also in doing so that this truth of the irrevocable gift, the gift of oneself, is precisely what is under attack in the world mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. And that's what's confused our understanding of marriage. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. All right. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking with Christopher West, the president of the Theology of the Body Institute. And gosh, if you're listening to this and you want more, you'll get more after the break. But you also know that you have to come and see Christopher and his team on March 9th when they bring Made for More here to Ridgefield. We'll be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. His Excellency is speaking with the excellent Christopher West about Theology of the Body. And um, Christopher, you were telling us about, well, covenant. You know, continue. Yeah. Covenant, covenant. And, and, and the, so um, dive into it now. You gave us the one-minute summary. So when you say the word covenant, what are we talking about? Covenant means the gift of self. And it also means receiving the gift of another self and returning the gift of self as a response to the gift of the other to you. And when you have two or more people who make that gift to one another, we have what the church calls communion a holy communion. It is through the gift of self, the reciprocal gift of self, that communion is established. 
this call to communion is absolutely fundamental to understand Catholic faith, to understand marriage, to understand the source and summit of Catholic faith, which is Eucharist. And so let me unfold this a little bit. Yeah. Whenever God establishes a covenant with his people in the scriptures, we see the call to be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because the marital relationship, the two becoming one flesh, male and female, he created them and he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. That is the fundamental image in the created world of the covenant love of God with his people. Again, whenever God establishes a covenant with his people, there is the call to be fruitful and multiply because that is the fundamental sign of the covenant in the world, in this created world. Why? In what sense? In what manner? When God created us male and female, he, he created this sexual difference precisely as the call to love as God loves. And John Paul II has this remarkable insight in his theology of the body. He says, the man and his wife in the beginning were naked without shame precisely because they experienced erotic desire as the desire to love as God loves. What a remarkable statement. If, if we want to use the Greek terms, we would put it this way. In the beginning, before sin distorted things, eros, E-R-O-S, eros expressed agape, divine love, sacrificial love. In the beginning, eros expressed agape. In the beginning, erotic desire was nothing but the desire to love in the image of God. The sentiment of Adam's desire for Eve was, this is my body given up for you. Mm -hmm. His desire was to enter into covenant union, covenant love, covenant relationship with his bride. And the sentiment of Eve's desire before sin confused it, her yearning for her husband was, let it be done to me according to your word. I open to receive your gift. I receive you into me, and I return the gift of myself to you. Marriage, therefore, even after sin, marriage remains the sign, the main sign in the created world of God's covenant. However, sin has tragically confused the male-female relationship. And the biblical image here is that with original sin, man and woman ran out of wine. Well, what, what does that mean? We, we have to read the, the biblical imagery here. Wine poured out for us in scripture is always a symbol of divine love poured out for us. In the beginning, they were naked without shame because we could say they were drunk on God's wine. They were filled to overflowing with God's love. That's what came out of them for one another because they were filled to overflowing with divine love. But there's a basic principle here. You cannot give what you do not have. 
-hmm. If you run out of God's wine, you're not going to have that covenant love to share with one another. With original sin, having run out of wine, eros or erotic desire became self-seeking. It got cut off from agape love. It got cut off from divine sacrificial love. And now with original sin, the man says to the woman, not this is my body given up for you, but he's now looking at her body as an object to please himself. And he says, that's your body and I'm taking it for me. And so domination and control and lust enters the male-female relationship. And the woman also has a distorted desire for her husband, the book of Genesis says, and a, a manipulation, a, a, a very painful dysfunction now enters the male-female relationship, and it needs to be redeemed. Man and woman need the restoration of the wine from the beginning. And of course, Bishop, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're putting this all together. Uh, where, where does man and woman, where do we experience that new wine getting poured out for us? Where's Jesus's first miracle? Of course, at Cana. At Cana. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Water becomes wine. So at the Last Supper, wine can become the body and blood, soul and divinity, right? Th which is the ultimate covenant. Glory. There it is. You just right. connected the dots for us. Right, right there. I'm going to add something else. And, and this is my own interpretation and my own way of understanding this. So, so correct me if I'm, if you, if you see it in a better way, but from everything you just described, it seems to me that part of the disorder of sin is that our, when we act out of our will, when we make our choices now, they do not always fulfill our deepest desires, but they, in fact, they we we will make like you said with lust and all, that we will make choices that seek immediate gratification but not Correct. the deeper gratification that is what the lord is asking of us right Correct. so love is a choice Correct right? for Adam and Eve the desire and the choice were harmonious for us now many times they are not because of Correct. sin Correct Correct and that's where grace comes in Amen uh, preach it you're preaching it you're this is pure pure gospel truth that you are sharing with us. We now need grace to redirect our desires towards what we really desire. Correct. And then to choose the good, which is what to love means. Correct. Correct. To will the good for the other, right. which, is, which must be fulfilled in a willingness to sacrifice myself so that the good of the other might be achieved. Right. right. And when right. sin gets into that equation of love, it twists it all up rather than sacrificing myself for the good of the other. Right. I come to sacrifice the other for the apparent good of myself. Exactly. When I was in seminary, it was interesting when we were taught this immoral theology class, and I've said this before in other podcasts, the full definition is, Love is an act of the will, right? To will the good of the other for the sake of the other, not for mine. Correct. And that, that last piece is the essential piece because just as you said, it is a self-offering, right? For the good of the other, not because you expect something in return, but our desires are, are disordered because of sin 
that that's the battle that grace helps us that we as humans cannot necessarily on our own overcome. That's the concupiscence of original sin. That's the effect of original sin that we carry, right? And when we think that the gospel is opposed to our deepest desires, we come to conceive, as I was saying earlier, we come to conceive of Christianity as as a starvation diet, right? You'll never be satisfied. Christianity doesn't have anything to offer you except rules. Well, that that moralism, that legalism, that rigoristic approach to Christianity is is one of the greatest heresies of our of our day. Christianity is an invitation not to the starvation uh, of your your hunger, you not to, not to starve. Christianity is an invitation to the super abundant fulfillment of your deepest desires. That's the key. Jesus wants to awaken our deepest desires. He doesn't want to crush our desires. The very first words that John the evangelist puts on the mouth of Jesus in his gospel is what do you want? What are you looking for? Right. Jesus wants to awaken our deepest yearnings. Right. And here's right. so an analogy. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 please. Your analogy, please. My, my analogy is this, that I like to say, and my analogy comes from John Paul II's teaching. It's my own imagery, but the idea comes from him that I like to say, God gave us eros, E-R-O-S, that Greek word, that yearning, that hunger we all feel for love for union, for happiness, for fulfillment. God gave us Eros to be like the fuel of a rocket that has the power to launch us to the stars, to the infinite. But there's an enemy who doesn't want us to reach the stars. And so his goal is to invert those rocket engines. Correct. And that's why so many of us, myself included, we go out into the world looking for love, looking for joy, looking for happiness, but our attempts to, to get that backfire on us. And they backfire on us precisely because of our inverted rocket engines. That's what you called concupiscence, our disordered desires. And oftentimes the temptation we have then is to blame the rocket, to think that the rocket is the problem itself. Here's the good news of the gospel that I learned from John Paul II that changed my life so dramatically. Christ came into the world not to condemn those with inverted rocket engines. He came into the world to redirect our rocket engines to the stars. In other words, Christ came into the world to redirect our hunger towards the wedding feast, towards that which will truly satisfy and, and here, um, uh, you know, oftentimes songs pop into my, my mind. And I was just hearing that, that beautiful Catholic hymn. You satisfy the hungry heart with gift of finest wheat. Th- that's, that's the gospel. There is a banquet of finest wheat that corresponds to the deepest thirst and hunger of our being. For love and union. So, so Christopher, so now, two things. Your, your exposition is phenomenal. I just have to say it because it's on my heart, right? Yes. 
let's take the worst of modern world and throw it under the bus right now, because if the world is teaching us in a thousand ways that, as Bishop Barron says over and over again, my life is all about me. Yes. That is the single greatest motivator to invert the rocket engines. Yes. Because it's the exact opposite of what you're, you're teaching us here. Yes, yes. And we have to identify, and because those influences are so profound, particularly on young people as they yes. form the worldview, and that's slavery, that's spiritual slavery. Yes, because yes. they get so caught up in the desires in the in the in the in the desires that will not give them that fulfillment. That's right. That's right. right. And the truth is, uh, forgive me if I insult anybody here, but we look at the young people and we say their lives are all screwed up. You know, they should know better. But we created that world. We who are older created that world that's enslaving these people, these young people. Bishop, right? Bishop that is a humble admission. And I, I think you're onto something very important here. Uh, I, I would put it this way. If, if the contest is between the starvation diet approach and the fast food approach, well, who's going to win, right? The fast food is going to win every time because people are hungry and eating fast food is better than starving to death. But if the contest is between the wedding feast and the fast food, the banquet and the fast food, who's going to win? Yeah, just for the antipasto, the wedding. <laughs> That's right. And Jesus, Jesus says, <laughs> go out into the main streets and invite everyone to the wedding feast. And isn't it very interesting when Jesus says that, the, the invitation has gone out to many people who refuse to come. And then he says, go out into the main streets where the lame and, and the sinners are. Go invite them and bring them all in. And this, the, we call them sinners, of course, but we're all sinners. Uh, but, but why are the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes more drawn to Jesus than the Pharisees? Oh, I can answer that question. Yes, you want please. Are you going to give me your own answer? No, I want you to answer. Well, and, uh, again, this is kind of blunt, but they knew their lives were screwed up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Basically, they knew they had, yep. many of them hit the bottom and they saw the bottom and it's not a place you want to be. That's right. That's right. And we have the parable that illuminates that very, very powerfully is the prodigal son. And it's very interesting, I find, and we tend to skip this detail. But Jesus, it says right in the scriptures that Jesus addressed the parable of the prodigal son to the Pharisees. So the story is really about the older brother and his reaction, because mm -hmm. he represents the pharisaical reaction. And what was it that caused the younger brother to leave the father's house? He was hungry, hungry for fulfillment, hungry for adventure, hungry for everything the world had to offer that he thought the father could never provide. And so he goes off. We all know the story. And he, 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 wastes his father's inheritance on prostitutes and a, a sinful life. But what brought him back to his father's house? The same thing that caused him to leave, his hunger. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he got to the bottom of the barrel and he realized, mm -hmm. my father can, can feed me. And he went back to the father's house mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. father threw such a grand celebration. And yet the older brother 
who never left, always followed his father's rules, he wouldn't enter the celebration. Mm -hmm. That is very scary because that celebration uh, symbolizes heaven. And it is possible to go through your whole life, follow all the rules and never enter heaven. And have society think that you are the upright one. Correct. Correct. You have your life in order, right? It's when you are actually equally, if not worse off. Correct. But the other thing I wanted to mention to you is listening to all of this as the backdrop. We as Catholics have said the summit source of our life is when we gather at the celebration of the sacrifice of the mass. Yes. When we enter in grace into the moment of the Lord's death and resurrection. Yes. But now for those of us listening to you, this moment of communion, when the Lord enters spiritually and physically. Yes. Yes. One's body. Yes. Is a manifestation of that covenant that you are talking about. Amen. Amen. Right? Because the Lord could have come to us only spiritually, but he didn't. He did it precisely because there would be a physical chewing, a physical digestion. There is a physical union. Amen. Right? Am, Amen. I, am I on the right path here? You are on, you're absolutely on the right path. And it reminds me of what John Paul II said about the Eucharist. He said, the Eucharist is the sacrament of the bridegroom and of the bride. This is where the mystical marriage between Christ and the church, where the covenant of marriage between Christ and the church is consummated. When the bridegroom says to the bride, this is my body given up for you. And the bride, the church opens to receive the body of Christ. What happens? The marriage is consummated. And if the bride is really open to the gift, she conceives eternal life within her. <laughs> oh, now, so now, Chris, so now, this is where I think this may be a challenge everyone needs to think through in their life. Yes. But for that gift to bear fruit, one has to be properly disposed. Yes. Ready for the encounter. Yes. Ready to receive the Lord. Yes. And allow the grace as well as the physicality to make that difference. Yes. Because I wonder to myself, how many times have we and our sisters and brothers in faith come to communion, not mindful of what's going on in a very routine way, and all of the graces and blessings that could have been given in addition to what's already given simply because it is who he is coming to you are lost because it, you're just not attuned to it. You're not opening your heart to it. You're not realizing what's going on. Everything we're talking about just goes right over your head. When we have a block from sin in our lives and we're receiving the Eucharist, here's an analogy. It's like contracepting the marital embrace. When a husband and a wife block the life-giving power of their marital union, they're just going through the motions, but it's not the life that is meant to come has been blocked. We often contracept the Eucharist. We go through the motions of consummating the marriage with Christ, but 
we block ourselves to the to the life-giving power of the Eucharist. And, and so the life, the grace doesn't reach our hearts. Uh, and we can all be guilty of this. We, we, need, <laughs> we need to learn from the church's teaching here. The church is not crazy when the church says that the marital embrace is always meant to remain open to life. I'll share a story here. Years ago, Bishop, I was giving a talk on the theology of the body, and we got to this moral question of contraception. And I had drawn out, as John Paul II does, that there's an analogy between the generation, the eternal generation that's happening in the Trinity by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The Father from all eternity is generating the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is who the Trinity is. And we are made in that image as male and female. It doesn't mean God is sexual. God is not sexual. But our sexuality and the power to generate new life is an imaging of the eternal generation of the Mm -hmm. Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And a woman raised her hand at my presentation. This was 25 years ago. And I'll never forget it. She said, Christopher, what if I want to have intercourse with my husband, but we don't want the Holy Spirit there? What? Yeah. And I knew exactly what she meant because she was she was realizing that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. Oh, 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 got it. Right. The Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. It's the, the Holy Spirit who generates the son through the power of the father in the in the Trinity. Right. And it's the Holy Spirit who generates the son in Mary's womb. And it's the Lord and giver of life who is an intimate part of, of the marital union that gives the power to generate the life. Right. And she was saying, what if I want to have intercourse with my husband, but we don't, we don't want the Holy spirit there. In other words, we don't want this to result in a child and we do something to block the Holy spirit. It it struck me so powerfully. I said, Oh my gosh, that's exactly why contraception is so damaging to a marriage because that's exactly what you're saying, whether you realize it or not, you're saying we don't want the Holy Spirit here. We are we are blocking the Lord and giver of life from our union. Mm-hmm. Imagine, um, I mean, this is blasphemous, but imagine a priest going through the motions of the Eucharistic prayer. And at the moment of invoking the Holy Spirit, instead of invoking the Holy Spirit, imagine saying, let the Holy Spirit not come upon these gifts because I don't want them to be made holy. That's blasphemous. That's a sacrilege. That's an absolute contradiction of the sacramental mystery of the Eucharist. I would like to add by way of analogy that when a husband and a wife render their sexual intercourse sterile, it is also a sacrilege against the sacrament of marriage. None of this is said to scold anybody or shame anybody or condemn anybody. Uh, I, I got my own long list of sins that I have to look at. But this is said to turn the lights on so we can understand spiritually what is happening when the two become one flesh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really and truly, St. Paul was not just whistling Dixie when he said, when the two become one flesh, This is a great mystery, a great sacrament 
that is meant to communicate the love of Christ for the church. But here's the thing. Sacraments only communicate the divine life in as much as they properly symbolize them. For example, the symbol of bathing with water really communicates the spiritual cleansing of baptism. But if you were to change the symbol and say you were to baptize someone with mud or with tar, now the symbol is making dirty. Mm -hmm. And so this becomes an anti-baptism. The marital union is really meant to communicate the way Christ loves the church freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully. But when we alter the matter of the sacrament, when we render our bodies sterile, we're no longer properly symbolizing the way Christ loves. Mm -hmm. Christ came so that his bride might have life and have it to the full. Now, uh, uh, to go along with my analogy with the Mass, a priest might have a good reason to abstain from saying the Mass. If you have a good reason to abstain from saying the Mass, by all means, abstain. But don't say the Mass and then blaspheme it by, of course. Right. by saying, you know, I right. don't want the Holy Spirit to come upon these gifts. Same thing with, with the marital embrace. A husband and a wife might have a good reason not to engage in the marital embrace. Okay, then refrain. But if you choose to engage in the embrace, don't alter it or, or make a sacrilege of it by altering its meaning, by rendering it sterile. That's the essence of the church's teaching here. Mm-hmm. That's I, I got to jump in here. That is such an important message for today. Uh, so misunderstood and so not known. But um, I have to jump in for our next break. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. Christopher West has been with us really diving in and explaining the theology of the body. Whew. Come to Ridgefield on March 9th so you can get more of Christopher and this fantastic message, all right? While we're on break, go get your tickets for Made for More. And then we'll be right back and uh, with a listener question for Bishop Frank. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency, here is the question that came in uh, via email. It says, Dear Bishop, at the beginning of Ordinary Time, one of the Sunday readings from... Uh, from 1 Corinthians, mentioned a number of gifts of the Holy Spirit, including the interpretation of tongues. Mm -hmm. My question has a couple parts. First, how would one know if they have that particular gift? And second, would the church need to confirm that someone has this gift? It seems it could be dangerous if the devil were to trick someone into believing they had it. Well, that's a tremendously important question. And, um, I think we have to define terms first and foremost. When we speak of tongues, we are not speaking of languages, right? In Pentecost, when the spirit first manifested himself in the world, people spoke their own languages and were understood. Tongues are utterings, the utterances of the Holy Spirit, right? And many times they convey spiritual messages to those who are speaking it, whether it's a message of consolation or a message of joy. So, the interpretation of tongues is the ability to see the fruits of the spirit manifest in the person who is uttering the tongues, right? It's not listening to the tongues as if there's going to be a linguistic message given to someone, right? 
So the authenticity rests in part from the person who is uttering them and what the fruit is in their heart. And St. Paul says very clearly what the fruits of the spirit are. Right? And the same for the person who listens to it. So it's not a conveyance of knowledge so much as it is a conveyance of, um, of the fruits of the spirit that should deepen the relationship of the person who is speaking the tongues and the person who may be hearing the tongues. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. And so I, so does that means that the church itself does not have to confirm. That was the second part of the, the listener's question. No, the Holy Spirit confirms it by the fruits of his presence. Right. Okay. And it's true. The evil one can confuse people. He always does. He always does. Including with the topic you, Christopher, you were talking about today. Uh, he's there in separation, division, deception, the whole nine yards. If you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And as always, we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Mr. Christopher West, wow, that was awesome. And we just scratched the surface, but thank you so much for being here with us today. It's my pleasure, and I can't wait to do this Made for More event. I, I'm so excited I'm coming to your diocese, and I look forward to unfolding this beauty for the audience who will be joining me that night. And before I uh, before we I ask for your blessing, Excellency, let me just give the website one more time for anybody who wants to get tickets or more information. It, go online, and it is ridgefieldct.eventbrite.com. That's ridgefieldct.event. B-R-I-T-E dot com. Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? Christopher, thank you. Thank you for not just your presence here with me today, but your work on behalf of the whole church. It's it's really extraordinary gift. You're very thank, welcome. Yeah, and thank God you were humble enough to accept the gift and share it. It's my joy. And do do pray that I remain just a humble servant of the Lord. That's my desire. Well, if not, come back on the podcast. We'll straighten you out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we've spent this hour together exploring the richness of your love and how you call us into a covenant relationship, an intimate, caressing relationship. So our deepest desire to come, know, and serve you can be fulfilled fully in the life of heaven. Keep us faithful to you. Help us to be messengers of the good news of the gospel. And we ask that you bless Christopher and his ministry and all those who will hear his word, that through his work, they may come to know and love each other and your son. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. God bless. Christopher, take care. Safe travels to you. Steve, I'll see you next week. God bless you. Thanks for having me.